I'm Wendy Conquest and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction and Relationships. I'm here with Tim Stein, Dan Drake and Jeannie Vitoni. And today we're talking about forgiveness, but specifically forgiveness with partners of sex addicts. So this is a series and this is one part that we wanted to focus on today. So um, I love this topic because I think it's an important piece to talk about. Um, so forgiveness in this, in a previous episode, we talked about what forgiveness in general means, but when sex addiction is present or is found out, um, my experience is, is that a lot of partners want to forgive very quickly and thoroughly. And so um, uh, is this appropriate? Is there problems with this? What do you think? You know, Wendy, it's so interesting is that you said you find partners um, maybe on the quicker side going to forgiveness. Some, some. And, some. and I was thinking, I think there's this, um, not, not polar opposites, but these two um, outside places, maybe to go to forgiveness a little quickly. And the other ones to really st struggle on forgiveness at all, that they want to forgive perhaps, but they're really struggling and finding to find ways to forgive. So I was actually thought you were going to say the opposite. Can we back up for a minute? Because I mean, we talked in general what forgiveness is, but it's worth looking at what is forgiveness? You know, when clients come in, when we talk to partners, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would you say, Dan? <laughs> um, the way I see it, well, I guess I'll say going to, to what you guys were saying, um, I always, when I, when someone talks about forgiveness and I call it, call it the other F word because it's, where's it coming from? Why is it coming up now? And I don't know what you all would say. Many cases, it's not coming from the, the person directly. It may be because of their faith system or because they're addicted spouse or part the addicted person is the one that's pushing it so to me the in that case forgiveness would mean like move on to a new you know forget it move on to something new that's what i hear it as sometimes that's not how i see forgiveness myself so i know we can talk more about that now if that's you guys want to talk more about that i sometimes think about forgiveness from a perspective of an energy system and if you think about yourself as a closed energy system and you've only got so much energy that you can use to apply to different things, if I have a grievance or a resentment with someone or a wound that I am, am holding on to or am I feeling with someone and I haven't forgiven, that wound or resentment or grievance is taking up energy and it's limiting what I can do in other areas of my life. And if I go through a process of forgiveness, from an energy perspective, it's I'm choosing to take the energy away from whatever that particular thing is so that it's available to me to use in other areas of my life. You know, I, I go into forgiveness as <clears throat> a way to acknowledge the pain, hope, you know, it, especially if there's been a regret and remorse amends to acknowledge that that happened, the person regrets it. And so now I'm working towards letting that be, but it's not an acceptance or an agreement with what happened. And so 
-hmm. not that it takes up energy, but I, I still might forgive someone, but still have my boundaries in place about how I choose to interact or not interact. And so when you say that, Tim, I'm like, with my version of it, would you say Mm -hmm. that takes up my energy? In my world, I would say that doesn't take energy. It's just a, you know, I'm going to hold some distance there and continue on my way. I don't see. So I don't know if my way and your way. Would you would you say that matches? Which I, I I think that they can fit. I mean, I will also say, in my humble opinion, one of the stupidest phrases that we have ever come up with is "forgive and forget." Yeah. Because you know, if somebody has harmed you, or if you are feeling that impact of, of somebody, forgiving them doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to forget that that happened, because then you're setting yourself up to, to let it happen again. You know, I really like forgive and remember. And so when I think about that, it, it, it you know, it's a very different, again, if I'm just going with an energy model, I don't always go with an energy model, but I am today. But if I'm going from an energy model, the energy that's associated with what I'm holding on to as far as the wound is a very different experience than the kind of energy of just sort of acknowledging an ongoing boundary or an awareness of a potential impact. Well, I think this is part of the challenge and the problem is that um, let's say somebody harms me and I am upset, I'm hurt, I'm angry. And I say, okay, but I I just want to let it go and I want to forgive them and I and and I want to be close to them again. So I might have that intention or I might have that desire, but mm-hmm. we all know that with trauma, trauma lives in a different, very different part of the brain. And so on the one on the one side, uh, I might have the intent to do this, but as soon as there's any kind of trigger that or any kind of remembrance, of the harm, of the hurt, and my brain goes, oh, here we are again. Um, I most likely am going to act and react in a way that does not show that I've forgiven that person, even though I would have liked to. So I think this is the huge piece I think that a lot of partners um, experience and struggle with is how we so so I we're kind of back to the beginning is like if if someone wants to forgive or is thinking about forgiving or is pondering forgiveness um how does that work if trauma is still really active well can I just say I don't think it's a one I think we get stuck that it's a one-time big ceremony I've forgiven you I've we've done it and now it's like this with trauma, we don't move on, we move through. We're, there's always going to be something there. We're going to have reminders. You know, if I have an injury, I may I may heal, but I may still have reminders based from that injury. So same thing. But I guess I, that's where I always put an S at the end of forgive. Forgiveness becomes, I forgive. I forgive multiple times. I forgive to the extent that I'm able to forgive right now. So for many partners, I mean, the addicts will, will kind of be like, I, they want more. But the partner's like, I'm still here. So I think sometimes early on, forgiveness says, I reserve the right to leave, but I'm I'm still choosing to stay stick this out for now until I until I see more from you. I think some forgiveness is an openness to say, maybe there's something here worth saving. I don't know yet. I mean, I think that could be one level of forgiveness to start. And then and then it moves maybe to a, a new kind of acceptance of self and the relationship as the as the person really does good recovery on the other side, I think. Dan, you you mentioned earlier on that there are some that that a lot of partners might feel um, 
uh, uh, maybe you didn't use the word pressured, but pressured to do to uh, have forgiveness. Can you talk about that from a Christian perspective of how that might happen? Yeah, so <laughs> this is complicated, right? Um, it, so I'm Christian, in case anyone doesn't know. Um, it It's pretty ingrained. You look at the life of Jesus, and it, there's a lot about forgiveness. Turn the other cheek, forgive. You know, how many times do you forgive? Hundreds and hundreds of times, right? You're forgiving. You're supposed to forgive multiple times, um, no matter what the, the person does to you. Um, that's kind of what, what I think it's instilled. What I, what I think ends up happening, and, and not the, the spirit of that, I think, is saying, I'm going to look out. I'm, that doesn't mean I, I don't have boundaries. I mean, Jesus had boundaries. He, he could clearly communicate when he needed some space and needed to do his own thing. He, he, and, and he had boundaries. But um, I think what gets ingrained is this sense of we've got a problem and, you know, we don't like Christians don't do well with sitting with with problems or perpetration. So let's Jesus forgave. So we're supposed to forgive. Right. Um, I think the problem there is if you really look at uh, if, if you do believe in God or a higher power, God has knows everything. If that's your view of God, like a Christian, Christians would believe that God knows everything. And if God knows everything, God knows every single bad thing we've done, God knows every single thing that we're going to do and chooses to forgive us. So this forgive and move on really quickly thing, I think is not a, is not a thing because to me, true forgiveness comes when I know all of it, when I processed all the hurt and the pain and the trauma and we've chosen, and I've seen on the other end that that person is responding to that and being empathetic. And then they're, they're making trustworthy decisions that are forgivable to me over time. And that could be years. That to me is a different place than just saying, you know, week two or three or four, someone comes in feeling pressured from their church or faith system and, or their, you know, their spouse and they'll quote Bible verses, which I think to me is spiritual abuse, because you still have to look at the whole affront that's, that's happened and really address it. So uh, I, I see this happen a lot with clients. And I think there's a, there's a sense of true forgiveness comes with true knowing and true healing. And then we can choose what we want to do. That's, that's the way I see it. There's a concept out there called spiritual bypass, which you're kind of talking about, which is I'm spiritual bypass is when I am avoiding uh, uncomfortable situations or uncomfortable realities or uncomfortable experiences by saying, you know, God is taking care of it. I'm turning it over to God so I don't have to feel it. And, and I kind of frame it for myself as, am I using faith or religion as a way to escape so I don't feel the discomfort and I don't have to acknowledge or struggle with whatever it is? Or am I using my faith and my religion as a way to support me as I engage with whatever's uncomfortable and find a way through? And when we're escaping uh, and not letting ourselves acknowledge or feel it, it's using religion in an unhealthy way, in my opinion. And when we allow religion to support us as we're finding our way through and we're engaging and acknowledging the discomfort or the pain or whatever it is, that's where religion shines at its best. I think a lot of partners are in a very deep struggle, spiritual struggle about forgiveness and can I offer, I want to offer, or I, I feel that I need to offer based on my values of growing up and such, especially with our spiritual communities. 
And so it puts them in a position of, am I not following the teachings? And therefore then it becomes, am I not being a good follower? And so now, now we've got sort of a double bind. I'm not ready to forgive the individual who's harmed me. And I'm feeling badly about myself that I'm not able to forgive the individual who's harmed me. And so I just want to be really sensitive to this topic because it's there's 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 harm by being a betrayed partner. And then there could be these other levels that are being brought by the partner and not on purpose, of course, but they're struggling because they can't and, and they're not ready to. And it makes sense that they're not ready to forgive yet because they're still in their wounding. So Dan, going back to you, I like the idea of the forgiveness being a process. And I think one thing we haven't talked about yet is that the other party has expressed remorse, regret, which doesn't always happen. And like, these are two different scenarios. And not just words. This is actions over time, consistently. Yes, yes. Consistency over time. Yeah. But, you know, where the person who's done the harming has expressed regret, remorse, reassurance of how they're going to do it differently in the future. And I'm also in my mind thinking of um, betrayed partners who don't have someone who's been expressing regret and remorse and reassurance and how that puts them in a whole different process about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So it's, you especially know. if that's an imposition by the other person. So I think if, if, if for anyone listening, I, I, if, if you're looking at, I, I feel this, I, I'm a partner, I feel compelled to forgive. It's worth looking at exploring with you, you know, a therapist or a professional, where's that coming from? Is this coming from external? Is it coming from internal? Is this coming from my background, my belief? Is it a, a genuine desire from inside me? I think it's really worth looking at because I hear all the time. I mean, it's the, you'll hear, okay, well, I've got 30 days of sobriety or 90 days of sobriety. You know, <laughs> what else do you want from me? Can't, you know, can't we just get over this and move on? If that's in my, if that's in the partner's ear all the time, then that becomes a form of, you know, I, I, emotional abuse of, of pushing something on, you know, your, your, the, the, the party, the, the betrayed partner to, to heal and move on from something. But this takes time. I mean, this is a real big relational rupture. And we know from, Judith Herman's trauma and recovery book, there's seven alterations that happen with, with relational trauma. And that last one, the seventh one is alterations of systems of meaning, how I view myself, how I view my spiritual, my, how, whatever I faith system I grew up with or the world around me, are people safe? Is, how would, how could God allow something like this happen to me? So if I already have that as part of the alterations of this trauma, which we know happens, Mm-hmm. then now you have this other thing that I grew up with, maybe having this belief of forgiveness that gets so much more complicated. Like you just said, you need this double bind. So I think being really delicate and sensitive and giving it plenty of time and space is really helpful. Can I, so, hold on. I just want to get back to Dan, you use the word abuse with someone that, you know, the one who's done the harm. I also want to offer the possibility that this person is saying that on a regular basis out of ignorance out of not knowing what trauma really is and how trauma long trauma takes. And, you know, when they're like, I don't, you know, a lot of folks are like, I didn't know I was an addict. And then I got into therapy or whatever. And I started talking. I went, Oh, that's what's going on. And same with, true. So I just it could to be ignorance. Could be. True. It may not be a conscious strategy, but I do think yeah. that it's probably out of shame. Then that person has a hard time sitting with, I hurt you so deeply. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't sit with that. So I, I want you 
I need you to change how you see view me so that I can feel better about myself. If that's, mm-hmm. that's, so that's on the other end, if I'm knowing that's where I'm coming from, that's my work as the betrayer to do, mm-hmm. to, to really sit with my own shame and really process that so that I can, I can right. take full responsibility. Right. I would, I would love to read just this one letter that I have um, from my book on forgiveness. So I wrote the book letters to a sex addict, um, the journey through grief and betrayal. So if I can just read this real quick, um, yeah. So this is uh, entitled Forgiveness. You're asking me to forgive you. I want to, but I don't want to lie. Forgive and forget or forgive, but don't forget. My defenses are so high that I don't dare forgive you. I understand more each day about what this is and what happened to you and to us. My head can put this into perspective, but my heart refuses to let go of the insanity of it all and the hurt. Forgive you. What if you have a slip or a relapse? What then? The books say you probably will. And if I forgive you once, will I have to forgive you once again, twice again, 20 times? How much can I take? I asked myself, what is fair to you and to me to keep a marriage together? How many relapses must I suffer through before I'm irretrievably broken? Forgive you, forgive for the sake of giving. I'm starting to wonder what I've gotten in giving. I'm wondering if I gave too much over the course of our relationship. People talk about not controlling you. I'm thinking I didn't control you enough. Maybe if I had been more vigilant, you wouldn't have done this. I can't forgive you, not now, maybe later. It's too big. I'd be forgiving something I can't even understand. I'd be saying everything is okay when it obviously is not. I need you to forgive me for not being able to forgive you. Maybe we can start there. Wendy, I love your book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love your book and and Oh, the heaviness, the emotion, the truth that rings out of what you wrote there. And I just, I love your book. I think everybody should buy it. So letters, letters to a sex addict, everyone, Wendy Conquest, um, because the truth of, I want to forgive and I don't know if I'm ready to, and I don't know what that means for me. And that's gotta be okay. Oh, so powerful. Yeah, it's it, this is a, a really um, tough subject. It is. And sometimes it comes down to what does forgiveness mean for different people? Mm-hmm. You know, does forgiveness mean what you did to me was okay? Does forgiveness mean it wasn't okay, but I'm choosing not to hold on to it and have that be like in the center of our relationship, whatever that is? Does it mean that if I forgive you, then somehow I'm responsible now for what happened to me. You know, I I think there are many partners that struggle with forgiveness. I think there are some partners that struggle with forgiving because they need unconsciously, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt, they need to stay in the victim role and let the addict be the abuser and forgiveness opens up the door to even up that relationship and they aren't willing to do that. 
there's a whole variety of where partners come from when they're struggling with forgiveness. I'm also here for you though. Oh, I just, well, I, just I, dro- I dropped something out there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You can't, just go, you can't move on from that. <laughs> you can't move on from that. I, oh, I just want to say on that on that note, the forgive the that forgiveness or the piece of um, the unconscious piece. I think also there's that fear I hear from so many partners this fear that if I forgive, then somehow you know that wipes the slate clean, and then the the betrayer is now okay. We're all good, and then they're off the hook, and then we can kind of we're like basically we're all we're all even everything's fine now and then the fear that they're going to do it again right so it's like almost a license that i forgave you so so go for it you know it wasn't that bad or something i i, I hear variations of that which is I, not what we're talking about yeah which is not what we're talking about um i want to be really careful betrayed partners don't choose to be betrayed and so when the the way you said some of that wording, Tim, about yeah. choosing to be in victim role, that was where I was like, mm, because a lot of people don't choose to be harmed and they 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 find themselves in this situation, whether they may have had an inkling 10 years ago or had no idea whatsoever. I agree. So, but they also may choose to not seek the work to do their own healing. They may choose to not seek out and be willing to do, do, go deeper into their own trauma. They may choose to not do what they need to be able to heal up on their side to give things an opportunity. And so they didn't choose to be betrayed and they didn't choose to be traumatized, but they may choose to not forgive. And that may not be a conscious choice. It may be an unconscious choice with other things playing out there. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to weigh in here too, because Go for it, Wendy. So the, the, yeah, so Tim, the words, you know, willing, um, so choice and willing. Mm-hmm. So um, what I have found is that partners um, are in a highly defensive um, space when they uh, find out about discovery. There is, mm-hmm. uh, this is why typical couples work doesn't work for sex addiction betrayed partners the partners just go running out of the room because it's like okay he did this but what about you right this you know and so that doesn't work right Um, and so what i find is that as the addict is taking responsibility and staying sober and you know staying the course the partner can feel safer and there's a beautiful Sue Johnson quote, which is says, the safer you are, the more you can risk. And so as the partner gets safer and safer, I find organically without me or another therapist saying, so, you know, what, 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 what happened here that you two were doing the stance that the partner organically starts saying, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Like what how did I get here? How did I get involved with a sex addict? How did I not see it? Or how did I, what happened? Um, And then the self-reflection starts, but it takes that establishment of safety to be able to do that. And for those of you who just started listening, you are hearing conversations on sex addiction and relationships. And today we're talking about forgiveness uh, regarding partners. So I wanted to come back to, I don't want to pathologize someone who's choosing not to go to treatment. 
or choosing not to get support. Sometimes they don't know that support's available, but historically with addiction, they weren't coming from a systems model where if you had an addiction, you went to treatment and the other person did not. And we encourage both people to be in therapy, <clears throat> but really not because the partner has done, has done something that's pathological, but to support the partner, to teach the partner about trauma and then the partner can do trauma work should they choose. I just want to um, honor and support people's agency to make that choice and decision. Um, we are coming from it, I think, as a field more and more from a systems perspective. And I also don't want us to get too lost and away from right. forgiveness. So. Um, this is a little bit different take and I, I don't know if we can close the loop on what we just talked about but I, I in what you were reading in your your beautiful letter Wendy there's also that you know I need I I'm asking forgiveness from you to uh you know give me space until I can forgive there's almost this sense of am I okay with not forgiving right now can is there a forgiveness of self that I have for the space I'm in and I feel like that's something we we need to address not just forgiveness of of the betrayer or the you know the betrayal that happened but how do I you know, what kind of, what does forgiveness for myself look like and grace for myself look like in this situation? So I'm curious what you guys think about what that, that looks like for, for betrayed partners. Yeah. I, I think that, um, many times the partner will, um, at some point, um, be asking themselves the question of why did I marry this person? Why did I choose this person? Why did I have children with this person? Why did I go into financial, agreements with this person. Um, and those are, I, I want to, those are hard questions, right. For, for anyone to be asking themselves or for, a, um, you know, the, the, uh, the addict to be hearing. Um, and I really see this as part of the grieving process. Um, so the third stage of grieving classically is bargaining. And so I think a lot of partners come to the place of what, how did this happen? And I think they can blame themselves a lot and feel a lot of shame and no way at that point, are they in a place to have compassion for themselves or forgive themselves at that point? I think it's a really hard, tough spot to be in um, for the partners. So we all seem to be in agreement that forgiveness is a, is a process that it, it's not something that just happens miraculously and forcing yourself prematurely into forgiveness is unhelpful and unhealthy. Is there a price or is there a cost if eventually, and with this kind of thing, eventually is a year's process. We're not talking months, but is there a price or a cost if eventually you're not able to forgive as the partner, forgive the addict? Or self. Well, is forgiveness of the addict necessary so you can forgive yourself or vice versa. Yeah. So Tim, I think what you're talking about is the situations where, uh, and I see this where couples get really stuck and, um, and the addict will hear, and this can be years down the road, the addict will do something. It could be an ADHD moment. It could be many things, but it triggers the partner's and the partner says, you're an addict. You'll always be an addict. There you go again. You know, that's the addict talking. And um, 
like I can understand this in the first year and the second year, but as we get into the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year, sixth year, if this is still happening, then there's a problem. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it has to do with forgiveness um, or not. I, I, um, it's a, it's a great topic because what, why can't they move? What, what, why, why right. is the process moving? So if they can't, if there's not forgiveness there, there's a relational impact that takes place within, within the relationship. But what about a partner who decides they're done? It's too painful. There's too much damage has been done. They leave the relationship. Is there a price for them if they're unable to forgive the addict? We, I, I'm just wondering if it's because forgiveness is such a big word. I'm thinking as we're talking, that's more like complicated grief. Mm, okay. If I don't, if I don't, maybe, maybe that's helpful the way I'm framing it. So if I don't complete my grief process, which may mean I ultimately couldn't be with this person. It was too much for whatever reason that the actions were too egregious, their response afterwards or before, during whatever, for whatever reason I say this, this, this can't, I can't do this anymore. If I'm cutting that person off and not completing my grief, yeah, I think there is a cost to that. There's a price to be paid. If I can't come to some, maybe I'll never say, I get why you did that and it makes sense to me and I wish you well. They maybe don't get to that point. But if if I'm still harboring this pain or resentment or anger or trauma that I'm not really working through, yeah, I think that will be a toxin in my system that's going to affect me long term. So I, I I guess that's the way I'm thinking it. And maybe that helps if forgiveness means I'm coming to some kind of acceptance that this, this, if I could choose a deck of cards that I would want to have been dealt, this wouldn't have been it. And yet here were the deck of cards I was dealt and, it, and, and maybe I, I came to acceptance of it. Maybe that's, a I don't know if that, if that equals forgiveness for you guys, but that feels a little bit. Yeah. yeah that feels different to me. Yeah. I love this complicated grief. Uh, perspective that 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 hits in in a uh, hits me in a real core way it's like oh of course right the, um so i believe that um couples get to a stage in their recovery where they grieve together they grieve what the addiction has taken from them not what the addict has taken from them and that's a that that's a powerful stage to come into um and it, so each person, I, you know, can we say both addicts and partners need to grieve on their own, but also, you know, in the relationship um, before, maybe before forgiveness can take place? Yeah. That, oh no, that's a broad statement. Tim, you're thinking that you resonate with that. I, I think that forgiveness in many ways is essential. And, and I do not believe that forgiveness means that what happened to me was okay. But if I'm going to move on with my life, whether that's in the relationship or outside of the relationship, if I'm still harboring and holding on to how, whatever it is, you know, unresolved grief, resentment, what, what, whatever those pieces are, it's going to have an impact on me in my life, in my relationships with friends or other people that are in my life and how I respond to different situations. The, it will impact me when it comes to uh, potentially moving into another romantic relationship. Um, and I think that everyone 
deserves the freedom to move forward with their life unhindered. And so I encourage people to not forgive easily, but to engage with it, struggle with it, and find a meaningful way through that process of forgiveness. Because in 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 a very real sense, forgiveness of someone else is actually healing for yourself. In my humble opinion. I'm thinking of forgiveness the way you're talking about it is coming to terms with. Mm. That's a phrase that's really sitting with me. And 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 Dan, thinking about complicated grief, like grief is never over, right? But it is people do come to terms where that's sort of like coming to a place where I, I accept that it's happened. I'm not okay that it happened, but I accept that it's happened. And now it's part of my my process in the world. It's part of my history. And whether I work through that trauma or don't, it's still going to be a part of my future because it's part of who I am now. It's a life experience. But I think of it as these ideas of coming to terms with and maybe maybe forgiveness is also a piece of releasing the energy attached to the one who harmed. Maybe that's also releasing the energy. Now that I'm just kind of thinking about it and playing it through, releasing the energy I have towards the individual who harmed me. Oh, so it is the energy system. Oh, back here. <laughs> oh, you're so happy to hear that too. I am so happy to hear that. <laughs> you, well, it's, you, I mean, I've had, we've had clients, uh, at least I have, I'm sure we, we have, but yeah. you know, there's, or known people or had friends, I'm sure anyone listening, you, you know, people that have been divorced and they're still more connected to their spouse after divorce than they were even during, like there's still this level of hatred. Anytime this person comes up, there's so much energy there. So I, I, I kind of like that idea of an energy release or letting go of that person. If, if I'm divorcing, they shouldn't hopefully have that same real estate in my brain anymore that, that they're kind of keeping me from living my own life. So I, I think there might be some forgiveness of letting that person go at some point so that I can, I can go on that, that close the energy. And now we're back to the trauma work to decrease the level of activation with the stimulus, the stimulus being the other person. So we're back to the trauma work to bring down that distress response when we're thinking about the person who divorced or the person who harmed which allows us to come to terms with. Yeah, I'm liking how this is all fitting together in my mind. Hopefully I'm articulating it well. And, and let me let me take what you just said, Dan, and, and put it in a little another metaphor, which is not letting somebody that you have divorced taking up more real estate in your head or in your heart than they did when you were together. If you choose to stay in relationship, are you giving real estate in your head and your heart to the addict or are you giving real estate in your head and your heart to your partner who's in recovery? And in the addict and, part versus recovery part? Exactly. Wow. Okay. And so am I holding on to you as the addict and that's how I always see you? Or do I see you as the addict who's in recovery? And granted, this has a lot to do with how is the addict embracing their recovery sure, right. on their side? But yeah, am right. I giving real estate to the recovery part of you? Or am I still holding on to the attic part of you because I haven't let go of that energy or 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 whatever? We're calling it forgiveness today. We might call it something else another day. But, mm -hmm. but again, goes, I think that... Go ahead, sorry. G. As I say, this goes back to the what Wendy was talking about with Sue's comment, which is, I can take more risks when I feel safer. And we all know this. We all know this in all the work we do. When someone feels safer, they're able to calm down and engage in a different way 
if trust is being built. So in my mind, I'm like, I can hear what you're saying, Tim, about the addict self versus the recovering self of how is that person showing up to express regret, remorse, and reassurance on a consistent basis for an extended period of time. That's what's going to help um, the, the one who's doing the forgiving, possibly, right. to engage in that. Because I'm not going to forgive. Well, then we're back to assuming you can interact with that person. Right? And I also want to be cautious. Are. The same way that we are making a point of saying that the partners were not responsible for the trauma that they experienced. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about a partner being able to forgive the addict, I want to be careful that we're not putting the responsibility on the addict to behave in a specific way so the partner can forgive and the partner can experience that relief. Because I don't want anybody to feel tied to another person. I'm You have to do something so that I can do this for myself. Yeah. And and and, and so there there is absolutely a piece in if relationships are going to make it the addict showing up and the partner showing up and how they do that is definitely going to make the relationship piece. And an addict on their side can definitely do things that will be helpful and make it easier for the partner to go through that forgiveness process. But I want to be cautious that we're not giving responsibility to the addict. And if the addict doesn't do those things that the partner isn't able to, or doesn't have responsibility for themselves and their own self-care to figure out what that healing journey forward looks like. So we are also going to do an episode on forgiveness within the couple or the coupleship. Mm-hmm. And so um, please look forward to that episode. So that is all that we're going to do for today. Um, I completely uh, am grateful for all of you listening to this podcast. And if you like it, please like it on YouTube, Spotify, um, LinkedIn, Uh, Facebook, and other social media, Instagram. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Also, send us your questions, thoughts, comments. Uh, I I make up there may be many of them from this episode. Send them to us at conversations.sar at gmail.com. And we will include them in our mailbag. Thank Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone.